Welcome to the GMAT Strategy Podcast. You're here because you believe there's a better way to study for the GMAT, and so do we. We created the GMAT Strategy to maximize your results and minimize your efforts so you can get to the fun parts about business school and life as quickly as possible. My name is Isaac Puglia, and I've been teaching GMAT classes and tutoring privately for the GMAT for almost a decade, and I've achieved a 99th percentile score on the GMAT and helped thousands of students get into the business school's of their choice. I'm excited to be a part of your MBA journey since we all at TGS think our world can benefit from the best possible business leaders that we can find. If this show is bringing you value, please share it with your friends and family who are studying so that together we can make this process as easy and as painless as it can possibly be. Let's go. Today, I want to talk about how to start your GMAT studies in 2024. We've got a big revision of the GMAT happening this year. It's almost complete. And probably by the time you watch or listen to this, there's just going to be one GMAT, which is going to be what's now called the GMAT Focus Edition. So the first episode of our podcast that we published basically five years ago at this point was talking about how to start. And there's a lot of super valuable information in there. I was updating it regularly over the years, and it started to get a little bit of like a Frankenstein's monster where there was all these edits and all these cuts. So I figured because there's such a big change happening to the exam for all of us who are in the GMAT and MBA community, let's just start fresh with a brand new episode about this year, how to start your studies right now. For those of you who have been studying for a while, There are almost certainly a few gold nuggets that I'm going to drop here that will help you out. For those of you just starting out, I'm very hopeful that this is going to shave months, maybe even years off your prep time by sharing some of the mistakes that I made that cost me many, many months that I didn't need to spend doing the wrong thing. And as always, our obsession is efficiency and we want to deliver that to you. So let's jump right into this. So number one, if you're just getting started with this thing, what is the GMAT? Well, the GMAT is still the primary test that one takes in order to apply to top MBA programs, graduate admissions programs. I assume you know that if you're here in the first place, but if you didn't, that's sort of why the GMAT exists. In terms of the nuts and bolts, I went pretty deep on what is on the new version of the test in last week's episode. So it might be worth a listen to that or a re-listen, but I'm going to quickly highlight the format of the new test, just very, very briefly, if you're starting from scratch with this episode to try to make it as valuable as possible. So there's three sections on the new GMAT, and you're going to get four scores. You're going to see a quant section, and you'll have an individual score for that. You're going to see a verbal section, and you'll have an individual score for that. And then you're going to see a data insights section, and you'll have an individual score for that. So those are your first three scores. Those three scores will be combined into a total score which will be on that familiar 200 to 800 score scale. And you'll hear a lot of information about a 600 or better on the GMAT or a 650 or better on the GMAT or a 700 or better on the GMAT. Now, the new version of the GMAT, the scores no longer end in a zero. They end in a five. And that's to differentiate the new score scale from the old score scale. So on the old scoring scale, 700 was kind of like the benchmark of massive excellence. And now that's a 655 on the new exam. So pretty much all of your classic GMAT scores can be scaled down 50 points. And that'll tell you what you should be targeting on the brand new version of the GMAT. And 
the the reason for that is there were a lot of people scoring higher and higher on the GMAT over the past decade or so, and there needed to be a change in the score scale so that there could be more spots at the top end of the spectrum because you had some people who should have been getting 720s getting put into the 710 bucket or the 700 bucket on the old exam. You had some people who should be getting 750s getting put into the 730 bucket, and that was kind of unfair. So this is, it seems like a bad thing that the scores are being scaled down, but it's actually a good thing. And now the benchmark of that massive excellence for top MBA programs is going to be around 655 on the new exam. That's concurrent with the old classic quote-unquote 700 barrier, breaking the 700 barrier, okay? So I'll talk a little bit more about scoring in a sec, but for now, just basic format if you're just getting going. The quant section has one problem type called problem solving. It's very familiar, standard five-option, multiple-choice math questions. The verbal section has two problem types. One is called reading comprehension. That's going to be pretty familiar. If you've taken standardized tests before, you just read a passage and answer some questions about what the passage told you. And then the other type is called critical reasoning. That tests logic. And that's something that might require a little bit of preparation if you're new to the GMAT. We'll get deeper in that in a moment. The data insights section has two problem types. One is called integrated reasoning. And there's four different types of integrated reasoning questions. There's graphs. There's tables, which is kind of like spreadsheet analysis. Uh, there's multi-source reasoning, which is kind of like tabs on a web browser, and you answer some questions about how the information is related. And then there's something called two-part analysis, which are generally word problems and algebra problems, like algebraic translation-style problems where you solve for two variables. Again, we'll go way deep on that in the future. There's a old integrated reasoning episode on the podcast feed back from a few years ago that's uh, still valuable, but some of the particulars are going to be a little bit different in terms of the section format and how important the section is. You can go back and listen to last week's episode if you want a little bit more information about integrated reasoning and how that's becoming more important. For now, I'm just going to get into the meat of how to start your studies in this episode, and then in the coming weeks, I'll have individual episodes on problem-solving, reading, comprehension, integrated reasoning, each one of the four types, because that's much more important than it used to be. The second quote-unquote type of question in the data insights section is called data sufficiency. That is not on any other test besides the GMAT and the related GMAT tests, like the executive assessment, which is basically just a very short GMAT for executive MBA programs, but that also has data sufficiency. And that's a question where you have a question at the top of the screen and then two facts, and you have to figure out which facts you need in order to answer the question. So the intricacies of those problem types are well beyond the scope of this episode. There's quite a bit of strategy that's going to go into those, but we've got you covered and we will have those rolling out in the coming weeks. So that is the first question. What is the GMAT and why, why does the GMAT exist? Why are we all here right now talking about this thing? <laughs> So next important question as you're starting your GMAT studies is, how is the GMAT scored? And this might seem obvious because you've taken tests in the past and you think, well, I have to get a lot of questions, right? And then I do well. But the GMAT is not scored strictly based on accuracy. So just let that blow your mind for a minute there. <laughs> this is a whole new game and you want to have a different mindset. A lot of the stuff that you have used to perform well on tests in the past is going to be relevant for the GMAT. And then there's going to be a lot of old instincts that you will have to remake. It's totally doable. Many people have gone before you and done it. I'm here to help you fast track it. But expect that there might be some challenge involved with that and some friction as you're trying to take these instincts that you may have developed over the course of 20 years, for example, and now all of a sudden you are going to have to do something different. And there might just be a lot of gravity to those old instincts, but you can absolutely remake them. 
So what is the score based on? That also, the technical elements of how the algorithm works is also beyond the scope of this particular episode, but I do have some resources for you there. For now, the short version of it is your score is based on the difficulty level of questions you see. And if you didn't know that the GMAT is a computer adaptive test, let me tell you that. What that means is when you get a question right, the algorithm will serve you a harder question as the next problem. If you get a question wrong, then the next question you see will be easier. And so that's why the exam is not just based strictly on accuracy. It's also based on the difficulty level of questions you are seeing. And then if that wasn't complex enough, it also matters where in the section you get certain questions right and wrong. So like getting number eight right at a certain difficulty might have a different impact on your score than getting number 18 right at the same difficulty, same question. Okay, so that's why I'm saying it's a little complex. It's beyond the scope of this episode. So I actually put a ton of blood, sweat, and tears and many, many hours into a video on our website, thegmatstrategy.com. It's linked in the description of this podcast. You can go there and watch our webinar. It's 40 minutes, and I'll go deep on the specifics of the algorithm. But it's going to be a little confusing if I try to talk you through it verbally and in podcast form. Um, so I'm not, I'm not going to do that because it's going to do more harm than good right now. Everything I've told you so far is enough to get you started and to understand this is a brand new game that you're playing and that you're going to want a different strategy for playing this game than what you've done in the past. Now, let me just put a caveat there. That's for 99% of people. There is maybe 1% or maybe even 0.1 or 0.01% of you who are just going to be so naturally talented and, and so naturally good at standardized tests that you don't need to worry about the algorithm or content or anything. You're just going to take a cold test. You're going to get a great score. You might study for a week or two, maybe maybe if at all, and you're going to get an incredible score. And if that's you, just stop listening to what I have to say right now. Go take the test. Get done with this thing. Everybody's super jealous of you. Uh, that was not me. Just so you know, I struggled heavily with the GMAT. It took me about three times as long as I thought it was going to. It was a very painful process. Um, and that's why I'm here to help all of you out and save you that pain. So if you're in that 1% or that 0.01%, celebrate. Uh, be thankful for the powers that be that you are that talented and that you do not need to struggle like many of us did with the GMAT. Get your score, get into B-School, and please do something awesome with your career. So what is a good score? Now that you understand how the test is scored a little bit different, what is a good score? If you want a top 10 MBA program, then it used to be this 700 plus benchmark that I was talking about before. And there were specific scores in the quant section on the old test, specific scores in the verbal section that I've now been revised because of the new score scale. So let me talk to you about that because this, this is really valuable and important so you can optimize what needs to be worked on and how much. So now with the new GMAT that just came out, like I said before, it's worth repeating, that's the 655 benchmark as of today. Now the scoring algorithm is still being tuned. The GMAT focus has only been out for about two months now. And there's a possibility that these numbers might be adjusted as they get more data. But something 645 to 665 is gonna be considered that quote unquote elite top 10 top five MBA program in the world. You're outscoring 90% of people at that point. And at that point, most schools will consider your score high enough, and that probably won't be the deciding factor in your application. Now, there are many, many, many caveats to that, too many to go through in this episode. I'll talk more about admissions and the particulars of admissions and individual B schools and programs and how to tailor that stuff in future episodes. But for now, just know as of today, as of right now, if you're starting your GMAT studies and you want to go to a top 10 program, then 655 is your goal. If you miss it by a little bit, let's call it 605 or 615, then you've still got a good shot at getting into your target program. It's just you're going to have to make up for that deficiency elsewhere. So if you have a really high undergraduate GPA, it might be a little bit more leeway in your GMAT score. If you have a very low undergraduate GPA, you might want to be shooting for higher than 655 and you might want to plan for more time so that you can counterbalance that low GPA and prove to these elite schools that you can handle the academic rigor of their program.
This is a big factor that the schools use the test for in deciding who's going to get in. Can you actually handle it? Are you going to struggle? Are you going to wash out? Are you going to not be able to pay your fees? Are you not going to contribute to our class community, et cetera? It's kind of like a job interview, if you think about it. Um, you want to have fit on both sides. So like I said, the total score matters, and that's primarily for the school's image in business school rankings, which are really, really important. There's a lot of emphasis placed on rankings. Uh, there's a lot of status involved in in, in the business school game on both sides of the equation, both in terms of how the schools position themselves and attract talent and develop talent and make a contribution to their overall mission in the world. And then same thing on the student side. There's a lot of status associated with certain schools uh, versus other schools. And we're not here to debate the the moral relevance of any of that. I'm just telling you, this is what it is. It was just a statement of a fact. Now, is status the only thing that these schools are thinking about? No, absolutely not. Is status the only thing students are thinking about? No, absolutely not. It's just part of the game and part of the way the GMAT fits into that game. So hopefully that makes sense. Um, the individual scores, though, do matter. I was hinting at this with the old score. So let me give you some benchmarks as of today. And again, we might adjust these going forward. If you have questions about this, just shoot us a DM on current social channels and we'll do our best to get back to you in a, a reasonable amount of time. So right now, just being conservative, I would say that 78 is the new, what I would call minimum for a top school in the quant section. The, the section scores out of 90. I think there's going to be a little flexibility as that goes on. I think top schools will probably be a little more forgiving as the exam matures and maybe 75 will be okay in the future. But as of today, the old benchmark for massive excellence in the quant. And if you have a GMAT classic score that you're then trying to decide if it's quote unquote good enough for a top school right now, then a 45 or better on the old version of the GMAT in the quant section was good. That score scale was out of 51. So it's just a totally different scale. This scale has a lot more data points, 90 data points. So 78 is what I've seen and what I've heard from admissions officers. Again, huge grain of salt. Take that with a huge grain of salt. That's just where we are right now, two months into this situation. I would say the minimum cutoff on the verbal is going to be 73 out of 90. On the old test, it was 36. Most admissions officers at top business schools consider the MBA a quantitative heavy degree. And so there's more emphasis placed on that quant score than on the verbal, which is why the verbal is can be lower and you can, you can still qualify. That might change as soft skills become more important. But I think most business schools recognize that they are going to be the purveyors and the teachers of many of these soft skills as we all progress down the road of, of evolution of business and artificial intelligence matures, et cetera. So that's still a little more forgiving than, than the quant side of things. And then I would say just conservatively, the minimum data insight score is going to be around 75 right now. So these are not necessarily like what you should be aiming for ultimately. But if you're below those scores, that should be your first goal is to reach 78 quant, 73 verbal, 73, 75 DI at least. And that would net you about a 585, give or take, which I would consider sort of the cutoff for top schools where if you're above, let's call it, if you have a six in front of your score, just being conservative right now, 605, 615, like I was saying, then you're probably not going to have to make a huge argument to offset your GMAT score. There might have to be a little bit to offset that for a super top school, like top fives, extremely competitive. And that used to be like the old 660 benchmark was kind of like the, the top cutoff. But I've had many students get into top schools with 620s on the old test, which is sort of like this 575-ish range on the new GMAT focus. And so if, you, if you're way below 585 on your initial baseline test, and I'll talk about when to do that in a moment, then 
you should be thinking about how do I get up to 585 first? That should be your first overall score goal. How do I get up to 78 quant, 73 verbal, 75 DI, get that 585 baseline? Because then now you're at least probably going to be considered and the, the rest of your application will be looked at. And the GMAT doesn't really get you into B schools, but it could keep you out of business schools if it's not high enough. And so that's what we're trying to do here is just get into that threshold where the schools are going to look at us, trust that we're going to be able to handle the academic rigor of the program, and then actually take the time to invest in reading our story, which will be like your essays, your interview, your short answer questions. And that's really what gets you in is showing that fit with the, the school's program. But the GMAT isn't really going to get you in by itself. So it's just a piece of the puzzle, but it is a very, very, very important piece because if it's not high enough, then you could immediately be disqualified. And obviously that's not what we want. So just again, to, to, to put some shape to this, you could definitely get in if your GMAT score is lower than that. If you look at the ranges for top schools, you'll notice many GMAT scores below that every single year. So I'm not saying don't apply if you don't get the score. I'm just saying if you're starting your GMAT studies, which is the thrust of this episode, then that would be a good initial goal if you're aiming for top 10 schools. Now, if you're aiming outside the top 10, let's call it like 20 to 50-ish in terms of the rankings. Again, coming back to the importance of the rankings then a lower score is going to be okay. It's still great to have the highest score you possibly can. And there's lots of benefits to increasing your GMAT score above the minimum, such as merit-based scholarships. So there could be a great financial return on getting a higher GMAT score. So it's, it's definitely something that's worth investing in in terms of time and energy. But it's also not the be-all, end-all. So I'm just trying to help you understand what is the GMAT, what is a good score, and how important is this for getting my ultimate goal? Because most of you are not here because you want to take the GMAT. <laughs> most of you are here because you want to go to a great MBA program. Okay. And I, I recognize that. So we're just trying to get this knocked out well the first time with minimal pain and suffering and as fast as possible, given that it is a significant challenge for, I would say, 99% of people. So that's what you need to know in terms of scores. Again, if you have questions about that, just reach out and we will do our best to advise based on your specific situation. Um, after you get those minimums, let's say you do achieve those minimums or your starting score is at or above those minimums, either in the overall score or the individual section scores, then what you want to work on is the section that's going to be easiest for you personally to improve. So let's say your initial baseline test is a 73 quant a 70 verbal and a 70 DI. And then you work hard and you get up to 78 quant, 73 verbal and 75 DI. You see that like 585-ish overall score. And you think, cool, I'm in, I'm in the game here. Then where do you go from there if you want to get up to that 655 level? Well, you want to take stock of your skill set and how difficult it was for you to move the scores and say, okay, it was really hard for me to get up to that 78 quant. I'm I'm not sure I can squeeze much more out of that. Even with 100 or 300 more hours of study, maybe I could get it up to an 80 but I really think I could max out this verbal with 50 hours of study. So that's when you want to go hard on verbal. Because after you hit those minimum subscores, then it's just about moving the total score as high as you can possibly get it in terms of getting merit-based scholarship, making the school uh, look good for admitting you into the program and helping them increase their overall average GMAT score, increase their status, et cetera. So hopefully that makes sense, all the math around that. I know I'm getting right into the technical nitty gritty, but I honestly think this is really going to save you a ton of time because I was just on a call with someone yesterday who was like, oh, I need to go through all the material before I take my baseline test. And that that is generally a waste of time. Um, if, if there's no way psychologically that you can bring yourself to take that initial baseline test, I understand you might have to just go through some stuff. And I've got some recommendations for you there in a moment to help streamline that. But you want to take that first baseline test as cold as possible so you can you can optimize. Um, 
So again, if, if you're midway through this process and you have gotten your scores up to the minimum and you're not sure what the highest lever is that you can pull, shoot us a note on uh, current social channels, DM us, and we will help you out. So that's what the GMAT is. That's how it's scored. That's what a good score is. Next question, what is the first step to beginning my studies now that I understand the big picture and what my goals are here? If you're okay diving in cold, then that is the optimal move. Get a practice exam from mba.com. We will link the two free practice tests that are first in the sequence. These are official practice exams. They use real retired GMAT questions. They use the real scoring algorithm, real-time constraints. That's going to be really important for getting a high-quality data point so you can plan your studies. And if for whatever reason that link has expired in our description, because they do change it very frequently, especially with the new exam and the old exam and all this transition that's that's happening in the community, um, just web search the test and just take it cold. Just sit down, block out two and a half hours. That's about how long it's going to take you to get that first uh, GMAT done, uh, including the 10-minute break that you can take between one of the three sections. See where you're strong and weak. That's the main point of this first test. It's not to like put your whole identity and your whole ego and your whole self-worth into a number on a screen. Try not to do that. I, I believe me, I don't know if I'm the most type A, but I'm I'm up there on the spectrum, okay? And, and in terms of the achiever personality, like if that's you, we can relate to each other. And I, I really resisted this for way too long because honestly, it was like some negative perfectionism. On, on my part, and I'm not afraid to admit that's not my proudest moment, but let's be real. We're all human here and we're dealing with stuff internally. So eventually I got over that, but that cost me a few months, everybody. And if you're that super hyper perfectionist, I've got some recommendations that can kind of ease you into it, but I would consider just boom, getting it done, taking it cold. Again, this is crucial for optimizing your prep if you ask me the fastest and most efficient route to New York City from an unknown starting de destination, then that's complete madness to expect me to be able to give you a, a reasonable answer. That just doesn't work that way. You have to have the starting destination, ideally the most exact starting destination you can have, and then you need to have the most exact ending destination that you can have. So define your goal clearly based on what I told you before. That is how you're going to optimize your time spent. And we, most of us, the vast majority of us are going to business school to advance as business leaders. And a big part of our responsibilities is going to be prioritization and defining what success looks like, not just for ourselves, but for other people, maybe thousands of people, tens of thousands of people for some of you in these large organizations. Okay. So you might as well get started with that clarity now, defining it internally. That's going to really help you out. Make sure you know where you're starting. That's going to influence all the next decisions that I'm about to talk you through, okay? Now, if you're just not going to be able to bring yourself to sit down and take a test cold, like you sit down to take it, you're like, Isaac, I trust you, man. You really sound like you know what you're talking about. Here I go. And you just break down in tears and, and you just crumble while you're taking the first practice exam. Stop it. I know plenty of people who have been there. I've coached many people through this process who started literally in tears. And there's a video in, on our YouTube channel, actually, of uh, one of my super duper homies and, and uh, past client, Sabrina, who literally started crying as, as her first order of business starting studying for the GMAT. And, and she got a super elite score and is, is super successful. And you can too, if that's you. But what I would recommend, and I'm going to talk about this more in a second, is there's two books you can get for free online if you get the digital copies from Amazon, at least current in 2024. It's January 4th, 2024 right now. 
Just go online and search Manhattan Prep Foundations of Math and Manhattan Prep Foundations of Verbal. You can get a free Kindle reader app from Amazon, and then you can download those books for free. And those will get you started with the core content of the quant and verbal sections, which are the most important sections. And it'll get you at least enough up to speed with data insights that you'll be able to take that first baselines test without breaking down and crying in tears, probably, unless you have massive test anxiety, in which case you'll want to listen to our past episode on test anxiety and, and start to get some professional help with that. It happens. Just be honest with yourself about what you need and what's at stake here. It's it's totally fine to invest in that. Many people have, and it's very overcomable. I want to say that. But for the vast majority of us, we're not going to be breaking down in tears and losing our minds and having our body rebel against us. So get those foundations of math books done. Just do every other problem in the drill sets. Do the drill sets first. If you get over 70% accuracy in the drill set at the end of each chapter, don't review the preceding chapter. Just move to the next drill set and the next chapter's drill sets. Do every other question. Don't do all the questions or it's going to take you like a month and a half to get through that. It's going to really slow you down, bog you down. It's not going to be a good way to start. Start with some momentum, start with some pace. And then once you've, if you're getting lower than 70% on those drills, excuse me, then you will want to go back and review the preceding chapter. It's probably an area where you can just use a little brushing off. And it's, it's basic things like how to do long subtraction because there's no calculator on the quant section, how to manipulate exponents, like stuff that you probably knew at some point, but you just need to dust them off and, and get them ready enough for the exam. And don't worry, there's plenty of time to perfect that if you're the hyper type A perfectionist individual, which many of us are. We're a very self-selecting group when it comes to going to MBA programs and being willing to tolerate uh, the incredible stress of, of this process and, and becoming leaders and not just leaders, but great leaders. And that's a beautiful thing. We should we should be happy that we're those types of people and um, and celebrate our differences. And at the same time, we should also make sure that those differences do not work against us, that, that we can harness those as strengths and not just be crippled uh, by perfectionism, negative perfectionism, that is. So that's a way that you can ease yourself into that first practice test if you're feeling a lot of fear and a lot of anxiety. But once you get those foundations books done, I don't want to hear any other excuses. Get the practice test done or just admit to yourself that you don't care about being efficient in this process. And that's that's understandable. But we are here to deliver efficiency. And sometimes I'm going to give you a little bit of the tough love because that's what I needed. I needed someone to use the heavy hand with me back in the day because I was thinking I was, I just had too much ego, everybody. I, I thought I was too smart. Nobody could tell me what to do. I had the track record. I was a hundred percent that person. And man, did the GMAT make me pay for that. And, um, you know, that was a valuable experience, like very humbling. That was certainly not my first or only humbling experience. Let me tell you, this would be like a 5 million hour podcast. If I listed out all the times I've been humbled in my life. Um, but I just want to share that even though honestly, it's a little uncomfortable because I think a lot of you probably need to hear that too. And this is an anonymous way that I can deliver that communication to you. Anonymous for you, not anonymous for me, for better or for worse. Uh, but I, I know that's going to be valuable for some of you. So um, just know you're not alone. It is. It can be a difficult process in terms of shifting our beliefs. And that's fine. You'll, you'll get through it. You can do this. So um, next question, after you get that baselines test, is what materials should I use? So the overall structure of this process is you take a baseline test, you figure out your strengths and weaknesses, you choose some materials and you build up those weaknesses and then you retest. And then you pretty much just repeat that process until you see your goal score on practice exams. Test, hypothesize about what's going to move my score the most, grind on that stuff that's going to move my score the most, retest to see if I was right about that. And it's this constant process of discovering our next weakness, next weakness, next weakness, resolving that weakness, dealing with that weakness, leveling up, resolving the next weakness, 
leveling up, resolving the next weakness, leveling up until we are at the level where we want to be. And then we take the official exam and we move on to the next phase of growth. So a big problem with the GMAT industry is there's too many voices, too many materials out there. It's very overwhelming when you come into the market as a student. Even I, as a professional, go on Google sometimes to just kind of like see what the student experience is like these days. And it's like I can just feel the the panic chemicals start moving through my body. It's like, what is happening right now? There's so many voices, so many opinions. I'm going to break this down for you, and I'm going to give you a few different options because ultimately the answer to what materials should I use is not what are the best GMAT materials. That does not exist. There's no one best thing. Now, from a business perspective, the rational move in terms of marketing a GMAT product is to tell everybody that you are the best. So that, and again, we're not here to judge morally like what the rational thing to do is in terms of marketing and growing a company. I'm here to talk to you about what you're going to confront as a student. And when you look at everybody's Instagram profile and everybody's slick landing page, and they all say, we're the best, the best, the best, the best. Now nobody's the best to you as a student. So there can be no one perfect GMAT product, at least not now. That doesn't exist right now. I'm sure there's plenty of us out there grinding to make the perfect GMAT product. Perfection is my goal. But I also understand that there's going to be imperfection along my path. And that perfection is really just a hope, like something I can aim for. I may sometimes hit it. I may hit it a lot. I may get to the point where I'm 100% perfect 100% of the time. That sounds great. In the meantime, there's going to be different products that are going to be a, a, a fit for certain types of individuals and not a fit for other types of individuals. And I think if there's one message I could send to the GMAT provider community is talk to your specific avatar more. Too many of the companies are trying to be everything to everybody, and it's a mess. It's a huge mess, okay? So let me help you define this for you personally. The number one thing to consider when picking a provider and the materials you're going to use is your individual learning style. So think for a minute about your history of learning and academics. What has been the avenue that you've learned the most from or that you've learned the best from? Let me give you some options. Things like books and reading. That's one type of material that you can engage with for GMAT prep. Have you learned a lot in your life from books and reading? Or have you learned a lot from digital video and self-paced courses? Or have you learned more from digital video courses than you do for books? Or do you learn more from books, but being honest with yourself, you're not going to sit down with a book at the end of a 10-hour workday, and you're more likely to sit down on a digital video class and actually get it done? Okay, so that's another factor, too, is usability for you. Have you learned more from live instruction? Do you really like having a live classroom atmosphere where there's other people to hold you accountable, there's an instructor you can ask questions of, et cetera? Or do you learn a lot from one-on-one -on -one tutoring? Have you had a lot of success with that in your academic past? Or some combination of, of those things. So reflect on that for a moment. Either pause the episode or just internally, I'll give you a moment to reflect and just pick something before we move on because that's not going to be the only factor, but it's going to be a huge factor in you picking what is the quote-unquote best for you personally. All right, so this is super important because no one wants to be or should be studying for this thing longer than necessary, and you're going to learn more and make the optimal progress with a format that resonates with you personally. It's already a big time and energy investment. Um, again, hard to be perfect, but we just want to make the best bet that we possibly can from the start, which is, of course, the entire purpose of this episode and why I'm making it for you right now is to get you set up for success from the beginning, from the jump.
So once you have decided roughly, and you can be flexible with this, on your optimal learning style, then we're going to factor in your desired score gain. So how big of a score gain are you trying to make? That's why that first practice test is so important. Your budget, financial budget, and also your time budget. How many hours per week can you invest in this thing? And then your desired timeline. I will be real with you, pretty much everybody wants to have a 1 million score on the GMAT or an 805 perfect score later today with no effort, okay? And that's a very reasonable desire, but it is not a reasonable expectation. <laughs> and so we want to be real with ourselves as we begin this process. And I said it before five years ago, I'm going to say it again. The biggest asset you have on your GMAT prep journey and your journey towards success is honesty with yourself. Some people out there are going to be honest with you. A lot of people are not. And sometimes our culture does not have the best relationship with truth tellers. You can think about the Copernicuses uh, or the uh, the Socrates of the past who told people the truth. And, you know, fortunately these days, it's maybe not quite that extreme. Uh, but there, we could make the argument that it is. And, and in business, a lot of people are going to be like, oh, I want the truth from you. And then you tell them the truth and then they fly off the handle and you, you know, you're excommunicated from the whole organization. And I'm not here to comment on the morality of any of that. I'm just telling you what I have observed. Okay. Now I'm going to tell you some truths in this podcast and that might not be for you. And, and I apologize in advance. If you meet me outside of a professional setting, even within many professional settings, I promise to be as nice as I can possibly be. I really enjoy being nice to people. But when it comes to getting results, hardcore results, I'm never going to be disrespectful, but I am going to tell you some truths and it might be uncomfortable. And I apologize. My purpose is not to make you uncomfortable. My purpose is to serve. My purpose is to serve you specifically. And sometimes that might mean sharing some uncomfortable truths with you. Okay, so that's my disclaimer. First, potentially uncomfortable truth. Number one. What is a resource you can use depending on your learning style, your desired gain, your budget, and your timeline? You can go with free resources. You can absolutely hit your dream GMAT score with completely free resources. If you have limited financial resources, then you can do this for free. I've seen many, many people do it. Some of you have no option, so this is what you do. You literally do not have the resources to invest, and so you're going to go free. I'm going to give you a bunch of information after I go through this rundown of time and, and different methods. But for now, if you want to fast track that and you're starting to get bored as I go through all the paid options that I'm going to talk through here in a minute, go search our study plan episode from a few years back. And that'll be a nice quick start guide without having to read the full manual, so to speak. And that'll give you the core of what your free program should look like. And then you can go from there. And I'll also link an article that I wrote about this in the description of this episode on GMAT Club that will help you plot out your free program of study, okay? Now, my strongest advice, and I'll talk more about why this is in a sec, if you're going to go the free route, is try to find a local library or a digital library where you can get some prep books, because that's going to save you some time rather than just blindly searching the internet or going all in on YouTube. Um, YouTube is good, but there's a lot of noise on YouTube, and it can be hard to get your questions answered. Like, it's all text-based, commenting on random people's posts, hard to know who's credible, who's not credible. Um, but it is possible. So believe in yourself if you're more that video learner and books just aren't going to work for you because you're dyslexic or, or or heavy ADHD or something like that and, and you have to use the video thing, then by all means, go all in on that. It's totally possible. But potentially uncomfortable truth, everybody, free is the longest path on average to your dream GMAT score, all right? So here's what you can expect that I have seen from about 10,000 data points. We scraped 
every internet source we could get our hands on. There are new ones coming out every day. We're building AIs to help us continually optimize this data set. Expect about six hours of study for each one point gain on your overall score if you're going the free materials route. Now, that's not a hard and fast rule. It's not a guarantee. Some of you might be way faster than that. Some of you might be way slower than that. That's just an average of a ton of data points. And so think about it this way. If you're trying to get a 100-point gain, that's probably going to be about 600 hours of study. Again, just averages. I'm going to make many disclaimers about that. But I'm just sharing what I've seen, and I think it's valuable for helping you set realistic expectations. And you can just make of that what you will. Again, just sharing the truth with you as I see it. And this is not a self-interested message. I'm just telling you what I wish someone told me, just treating you how I wish people would treat me. Okay. Just, I, I want to hear the truth. Okay. I know that's maybe a little bit unusual these days, but if you have feedback on this episode, hit me with it and I will never punish you for telling me the truth. I promise. Okay. Books is the next thing up in the cost sphere, but also the efficiency sphere in terms of materials you can get. So a high quality book set is going to be somewhere in the 100 to $300 range. What does that get you? On average, with books, you're looking at about five hours of study for each one-point gain on your overall score. So if you're trying to make a 100-point gain, five hours per one-point gain instead of six hours per one-point gain with free is getting like 100 hours back into your life. So you could think like that's two hours a week every week for an entire year. You think about that, 50 weeks times two, about 100. Um, so if you're going from 555 on your initial baseline test to a 655, probably about 500 hours. Again, just average is not a guarantee it might be 7 million hours for you personally. I don't know. This is just what I've seen. Some people are way faster. Some people are way slower. I'm just trying to make the numbers digestible, but still accurate. And again, this is just from scraping a boatload of data that's all available on the internet. If you want to build your own AI or put your own time into scraping this, by all means, please do share your results with us. We will absolutely include that in our data set. So what are you doing if you're investing with books? You're buying back hours into your life because you probably could spend 100 more hours studying for the GMAT, but that might not be a good rational choice for you personally. So here you're buying back 100 hours for, let's call it on average, about $200 for the book set. So that's about $2 an hour of time spend that you're buying back. If you make less than $2 an hour at your job or your money-making activities, then this is not a good investment for you. It's, it's, gonna be, it's a bad bargain, right? You're overpaying for your time. But if you make more than $2 an hour at work, then in my opinion, it's a fantastic investment because if if I can go to work and make $10 an hour and then buy back 100 hours at $2 an hour, that's a great arbitrage. Okay, so this, this is how I recommend thinking about it. You can make up your own mind. Um, if you're looking for a book recommendation, the best books, in my opinion, are the Manhattan Prep Strategy Guides. I've worked with Manhattan Prep many uh for, for a long time over the years, I, I'm no longer associated with them in any way. I'm not getting any compensation or kickback for this right now. They probably should compensate me if I'm being honest. Um, but uh, hey, this is this is how this goes sometimes. And I guess maybe it's for the best because I can make like an unbiased recommendation for you. Um, the recent editions of these books, there's quite a few typos in them. So just expect that. But it still saves you a lot of time. And any edition from the past few years is actually still going to be usable. So like if you're going the library route for free books and you can only get the fifth edition or the sixth edition or the uh, 2020 edition of the quote unquote all the quant book, which I think is what, what they called it last time, they're probably going to push out a new version for the focus edition. I don't know if that's out yet or not, but that is a good way to go if you're going to go the book route. Now, there, there might be other great book providers out there. I've seen some individual tutors publish books, but... 
I don't have any personal experience with those, and so I don't personally recommend them. But if you want some other recommendations, then by all means, get them. But I've done this a lot of times with a lot of people at this point. And if you're going to go the book route, then that's what I recommend. Now, if you're getting the older versions of the books for free from a library, then there is going to be a little bit of friction against the new version of the exam. There's not going to be any sentence correction, so don't spend any time on that stuff. But all the problem types are still relevant. It's just the format of the test is going to be a little bit different. So GMAT focus is just less of the same stuff of the old GMAT. So again, listen to last week's episode if you're not sure how that's different or you get an outdated set of books. You can still use them productively. I don't want you to think you have to invest in the latest set of books in order to make progress. But if you have 200 bucks or 300 bucks or whatever they're charging these days, then I would get the newest version that's optimized for the focus exam because it's just going to save you time, like I said. So next up in the cost sphere and also the efficiency sphere on average would be digital self-paced courses. On average, these are maybe between the $300 and $1,000 range, give or take. Some bill monthly, some it's a flat rate, one-time investment. And for these, what are you getting? You're getting about four hours of study for each one-point gain on average. So again, buying back an extra 100 hours, going from 555 to 655, you're looking at on average probably about 400 hours rather than 500 or 600 with books are free. Not a guarantee. You might need a 1,000 hours. This is just what I've seen on average. What are you getting with this? You're getting structure. You're getting organization. You're getting like a, a pre-scripted study plan where it's not just, hey, read a bunch of books and take the practice exam. Like, not that that's bad. It's just different. And again, that's why I had you think about your personal learning style a moment ago. Some of you might learn better from video, so that's kind of a no-brainer there. Um, but I do want to give you some advice here in, in terms of what the best provider is. This is one of the more crowded spaces in the marketplace. There's many, 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 many digital self-paced providers out there. Despite the appearances, everybody, and again, this might hurt some people's feelings, and I'm not here to hurt your feelings. I'm just here to tell you my honest opinion, and I apologize if you don't like it. Um, despite appearances of being different, they're basically going to teach you the same stuff across the board. Now, what does that mean? Is that good, bad? Is one better than the other? Not really. The choice then just comes down to which brand you personally like better, which one is the personal fit for you. Because let, let's call the, the major brands in this category, like the Magoosh, the Target Test Prep, the EG Mat, th those are some of the more reputable brands. At the end of the day, a lot of it is going to be the same material, but it's going to be taught in a different way, slightly different. So you want to maybe do some free trials if that's available. You want to just test them out. If that's the route you're personally considering where you're like, this is sounding good to me, Isaac. I think I want to go this route. Then try a few and just pick the one that you resonate with most personally. And uh, I'll talk about what to do to get the most out of your program of choice. Let me get through all the programs before I give that advice. Um, again, just coming back to the upside here, you're buying about 200 hours back versus free. Average investment is, let's call it like $800. So buying back time at a rate of, of about uh, 4 to $8 an hour. And again, if, if you're making less than $8 an hour, then that's probably a bad bet for you. You should go with free or books. If you're making more than $8 per hour, then you should probably invest, Like if that makes any rational sense. Um, so again, it, you might be way slower than that. I'm just giving you an idea so you can make an informed decision from the beginning. Now, a couple caveats here. Big problem in the industry is that you don't know what to do as a student. This is why I'm making this for you. I already talked about this. There's a lot of people paying for placements in articles. So some of these articles that look like they're written from an unbiased perspective are actually being bought. I'm not saying that's good or bad. I'm just saying that is what it is. It, it can get a little crazy and a little bit confusing. Some of you who work in marketing and advertising probably understand the game. If companies are running ads, that doesn't mean it's good or bad. 
It just means go in with your eyes open and expect that you might have to switch gears if you wind up choosing a provider that ends up not being a fit for you. It's, it's very difficult to make a perfect decision from the beginning. That's why I'm saying do the trials. But even then you do the trial sometimes and then you get a month or two months into it and you might realize this isn't for me and it's okay to switch gears at that point, okay? it's it's I wanna relieve the pressure if you're feeling like, oh my gosh, it's so much money, it's so much time, I have to make the perfect decision from the beginning, again, coming back to this negative perfectionism. It's a lot easier to change something that's already in motion than it is in change something that has not gotten in motion yet. I know that might kind of go against the grain of logic and reason, but it is by and large true in business I've seen and in many cases in life. So you just want to get some momentum on your side. You want to get some experience with a particular platform that you think is a good bet for you. And then you can, don't be afraid to switch gears down the line. I, I would say probably 30 to 50% of people end up switching providers or using multiple providers along their path to GMAT success. Okay, so um, you want to get in motion, just adjust. The practice test is really going to help you though. So again, make sure you get that in and that'll help you pick a program whose strength might be quant or whose strength might be verbal or whose strength might be native english speakers or whose strength might be non-native english speakers like we're all we're all a, a bunch of diverse folks in in this uh situation and so again that should help you pick the quote unquote best provider for you personally if you have questions about any of this again i'm going to try not to be a broken record here but just shoot us a dm if you're like i don't know which digital self-paced class to take we'll ask you a couple questions and try to help you make a good decision okay we're here to help next up in the cost and efficiency sphere is live classes this is usually in the one thousand to two thousand dollar range give or take and this is going to get you into that three hours of study for each one point gain on your overall score on average no guarantees but that's what i've seen what do you get with a live class you get a live instructor you get to ask questions. You can interrupt the lesson midway to get clarity and ask for clarity on stuff. That's basically never going to happen quite to the same degree unless AI becomes like insanely great uh, very, very soon. Um, for these digital self-paced classes, it's a little different. You might get chat support. That might be enough for you. Again, not saying it's good or bad. Just make your own call. Some of you are going to want that human that you can interact with and the chat thing isn't going to be a fit for you personally. That's fine. It's, it's neither good nor bad. You just want to go into it with eyes wide open. Can you... Um, repeat that in a different way, you know, that's that's hard for you to do with a video. Like you could rewind a video, but you're not, probably not going to get it to repeat it in a different way. Un unless AI just makes insane leaps in the next like six months, we'll see. Um, might even get some support outside of class, like I said, but it is also unusual. And that's just the economics of the business. It's hard to pay a top tier human who's a massive veteran in the industry with 20 or 30 years of experience and an incredible track record. And it's like waving a magic wand to the way they make your score move, you know, sometimes with these people, it's crazy. Um, that's going to be hard or different to get than the person who you can only afford to pay $5 an hour, who might be an amazing human being, but just might not have as much experience as the other type of person. And so might not command the same dollar amount in the marketplace. Again, it's not good or bad, the support that you're getting. It's just what you want personally and what's a fit for your learning style, your budget and your timeline. Okay. So again, three hours for each one point gain. Let me help you with the math. 555 to 655, it's about a 100-point gain. Figure about 300 hours, give or take. About $1,500 on average for these courses, so you're buying back time at about $15 an hour. If you're making more than $15 an hour, this is a very reasonable bet for you. If you're making less than $15 an hour, that might be a little bit too expensive, and you might want to use some of those self-paced classes I was talking to you about, okay? If you're looking for recommendations on the best live classes, then I think you should go with Test Crackers. I've worked with Test Crackers as well. They are a very small brand. They're, they're local to the San Francisco Bay Area. 
They do not have the slick marketing. I don't even think they advertise at all. All the, all their business comes from word of mouth. There's definitely not going to be a slick website unless they make some major moves in the next few months. So don't be expecting that slick experience on the front end side. And that's that's because their primary focus is trying to teach you well, which is why I recommend them, okay? Now, you're going to get a lot more personalized attention versus the larger brands in these classes. And that might be for you and that might not be for you, okay? If you're more that big brand consumer and you want to cross shop with some larger brands, that's fine. That's totally fine. Uh, I just personally don't recommend any of those larger brand classes. I've worked with both companies. Uh, sorry, I've worked with both types of companies. I have not worked for every major brand in the space. And I don't want to name any names or throw anybody under the bus here. Uh, but that's just my personal take. And that's what I'm recommending for folks these days. But ultimately, it's your call. Um, if you get on the phone or you check out Test Cracker's website and you're like, yeah, definitely not for me. This is not what I want then don't go with them. But I think they do deserve a little bit more attention than they get. And the larger companies have much bigger budgets. They occupy a lot more of the advertising space online. And again, that's neither good nor bad. I like I have nothing against advertising. I think it's great. I, I'm a passionate student of business and I want to understand everything about advertising. I think it's super cool and like I get nerdy about it, you know. But as a consumer, it's a little bit different than as a provider. And so I want to set you up for success there. You can still have success with the larger brands, everybody. Like if that's you, if you're that large brand type of consumer, go with it. And then like the self-paced course advice I was giving, don't be afraid to shift gears if you're not getting results or if you're not resonating with your provider, okay? And see if you can uh, just get a little bit more data, watch some testimonials, um, just check out the vibe and, and see if it's a good fit for you personally, okay? Because obviously we're getting into these larger investments, uh, monetary investments. Next up in the cost sphere and the efficiency sphere is private tutors. Uh, you're looking at a major cost increase for most people at this point. You're going to be somewhere in the $2,000 to $10,000 range. There's a big quality gradient, and obviously that's a big monetary range. Some of you are going to be like, ten grand. why is it so cheap? And some of you are going to be like, $10,000, oh my goodness, in your head, there's steam coming out your ears. So it's just, this is just, I'm just giving you the game here, okay? This is it. You do with it what you want. Um, obviously we're going to be pricing some folks out here at this, at this point, but in general, this is the fastest way because everything is customized for you personally. It's pretty awesome. You get a higher touch experience. You're probably going to have a little bit more access to your instructor. You're going to work only on your personal specific weaknesses. A lot of times you get a lot of scheduling flexibility. If you have a really demanding job in terms of scheduling and you're not going to be able to make a class on a regular basis. Uh, it's also great if you took a cheaper option at the beginning but didn't get the results you wanted to see. That can be a great time to invest at a higher level with a tutor. I'm not going to name any specific tutors who are quote-unquote the best because they come and go like crazy. It is just amazing to have been in this industry for over, like basically a decade now. And prior to that, in in um, another vertical in the test prep space, so about 20 years uh, teaching people test prep at this point. And my best advice for finding the best tutor fit for you personally, because there's going to be even more variance person to person here, and it's a much more personalized, individualized experience than these these um, like more mass market products like courses and and books and stuff. Ask your network for referrals. This is going to be the highest leveraged way for you to use your time and find the best tutor for you personally. Try to talk to three people would be my advice. Three providers, that is. Try to talk to as many people in your network as possible and get a long, as long a list of referrals as you can get. But pick the top three. It's a large project. There's a lot at stake. It's a relatively large investment for most of us. And so we really going to want someone who's a strong, has a strong track record, who can demonstrate that track record with a lot of results. 
uh, of getting results for people like you in your specific situation. So don't be afraid to ask the tough questions when you're interviewing tutors. Um, they're used to it. It's fine. Pick who you resonate with personally. Again, you're going to learn the most from someone who you just like versus someone who annoys you um, or who you you don't like talking to. Maybe that goes without saying, but it's just going to put it out there in case it's helpful. Uh, if you have an admissions consultant, that's also a good data point. Ask your admissions consultant if they recommend any tutors or if they work with any tutors personally. But just keep in mind, there is a major, major uh, revenue generating incentive for most admissions consultants to have a GMAT partner and vice versa. Because admissions consultants, for the most part, okay, this isn't everybody, but for the most part, the largest admissions consulting firms get most of their customer flow from GMAP providers. So it's a very symbiotic relationship. Again, I'm not saying it's good or bad that there's these commission structures. It's probably good. But in terms of making the best choice for yourself with a large investment here where there's a lot of risk, just consider your admissions consultant's recommendation as one data point. It might even be a large data point. But I wouldn't just be like, oh, my admission consultant recommended this person, so therefore they must be the best. That might be true, but just talk to a few people and A-B test so that you can at least do your diligence. And that's, of course, many of you who work in the investment and finance world understand that's pretty much how you get the best investments is diligence. So um, it's not an unbiased recommendation from your admissions consultant. It'll be a less biased recommendation from your friends, but also keep in mind your friends are going to have different learning styles than you. So that's why you want to talk to these people personally before you invest most of the time. It doesn't mean you should do it or not do it. Just, just definitely talk to the people and make up your own mind. All right. I think I've said that enough. Um, keep in mind that a lot of people are seeking tutoring when they're in a lot of pain. Like they, they just went through a score drop with a class that they invested two grand in and they're, they're super bummed and they're trying to hit their timeline and they're in a big rush. That happens all the time. You don't want the pain to get worse. Okay, so please do your diligence with the tutor research process. You want it to get better. So if your test is tomorrow, okay, you got to just go with whoever's available. But if you have any means of uh, talking to a few tutors, please do that. It'll help you out. If you need a recommendation for a tutor and you're striking out with your network, shoot us a DM and we'll ask you some questions about your specific situation and try to set you up with the right people. We don't have any referral relationships with tutors right now. So there's no financial incentive us for us to recommend X, Y, or Z people. So we can give you an unbiased recommendation. We'll just recommend based on who we think is good and who we think will be a best fit for you. And then you should still take our recommendation with a grain of salt and do your own research as much as possible. But uh, if you're the type of person who has no network of people who've done MBAs, or you're not getting good recommendations for your network, then we want to be there for you. There's more uh, current recommendations we can give that way again, because the tutor industry is just changes so fast. It's crazy. Here with tutors, you're looking at maybe two hours of study for each one point gain. So I already said it's the most expensive, but it is also the fastest. So some people want to drive a Ferrari. Some people want to drive a Toyota Corolla. Neither is good or bad. It just is what it is. So on a hundred point gain, you're looking at maybe 200 hours of study, give or take. Again, not a guarantee. Might be way more, way less. If you can get in with someone good, you can expect that two hours of study for each one point gain. Not, not Joe, whoever off the street just started tutoring for the GMAT yesterday, or really they're an LSAT tutor or an SAT tutor, and they're just saying that they can help you with the GMAT. You want to be really careful with those people. They might be awesome, but the GMAT, like I said at the top of the episode, is a totally different game, everybody. So please, please, please do your diligence. Um, you don't really want to be a guinea pig for somebody unless... Unless you're okay with being that experimental student and maybe they give you a price break on it. I mean, that's up to you, but I personally wouldn't wouldn't want that. I'm not that type of shopper, but some of you are, so that's cool. 
Um, but a reasonable expectation, let's call it 3,000 on average, give or take, for, for a, a decent tutor. The, the people who are better are usually going to be a little more than that or a lot more. Um, and you're buying back another 100 hours into your life, right? So um, 200 hours instead of 300 with a class or 400 with a digital self-paced class or 500 with books, 600 with free. Um, and so now you're buying back time at a rate of $30 an hour. If you're making more than that, I think that makes sense. If, if you're stuck and you're making less than 30 bucks an hour, you should still consider getting a tutor, maybe even just for a few sessions to get a personalized study plan because there's major upside. We're talking with a top school, maybe like 3 million on average, give or take, uh, as, a, as a return on capital, which you know is pretty tough to get that rate of return in other investment classes these days. Certainly possible, but um, it's also a very controllable investment. Like if, if I invest in a certain asset class, unless I'm taking a large role in how the, the business or the investment is, is worked out, I'm kind of a given someone else the, the the wheel in terms of my returns, that could be could be good or bad depending on what kind of investor you are. But again, I, I feel like I'm getting off track here, sorry. So um, $3 million upside, few grand right now. Yeah, you probably wish you didn't have to spend that, but if you're struggling, like just, just take the pain. Uh, in my experience, you, you won't regret it if you do your diligence on the tutor side. But again, it's your money. I'm not telling you or guaranteeing you any results from any of this. There's a lot of variables in that equation. I wish I had a magic wand. If I did, I would wave it for you a thousand times, but I don't. This is the next best thing. So this is what I'm giving you. All right, that's the basic rundown of options, cost sphere, and what the deal is with the GMAT market. So I really hope that helps you out. Let me just give you one little more uh, deal here before I move on to like some general advice about how to make the most of whichever provider you pick. If you want to go faster, than the options that I just talked to you about, or you've tried the above and you still have not seen the results that you want, definitely book a call with us. We specialize in speed and efficiency, and we can definitely get you the fastest results possible. We're obsessed. We have many customized products within our suite of offerings that we can definitely help you with. And we also specialize in turning things around if you have seen score drops or you're not seeing the results you want with your current provider, okay? So if that's you, please reach out. We're not going to try to close you on some garbage on, on the strategy call. That's not what it's about. We're going to do a real conversation with you where it's a full deep analysis of your situation, share with you a game plan. There's no obligation. There's no charge for it. Uh, we're just going to ask you questions to make sure we're giving you the best advice we possibly can on that call. It's real advice, okay? Stuff that people pay us for in other situations. If it's not a fit, then we'll make a recommendation that's something better. We don't take everyone. We don't pitch everyone on our program. A lot of people are not going to be a fit to work with us. And it's just better for everybody to have you go with another provider. Again, we don't get any financial kickback on those recommendations, at least as of today. Uh, if, if someone does reach out to us and wants us to, to, to pay us for leads, then maybe we'll do that. I don't know. I haven't decided one way or the other. Uh, but right now it's totally unbiased. Um, the score drop thing, the not moving as fast as you want to thing, the unkept promises from your provider is a huge issue in the D GMAT space. Okay. I dealt with it. Don't worry. There's nothing wrong with you personally. You can still do great on the GMAT. You're still going to be an amazing business leader. You just need a different system, and that's what we've developed. Again, just moving into more market differentiation, letting you know what we specialize in at TGS, what we're about, and that's all I'm going to say about that because I don't want to spend this podcast pitching you on our program. That's not why I'm talking to you about this. I'm just letting you know it exists, okay? I'm just letting you know it exists. If that's you, if you're in that boat, we're here for you. We want to help you out. We've got a bunch of custom material, like I said. 
reversing score drops. That's the situation I was in. I personally went through that. If you want to know more about my story, watch the webinar on our website that I alluded to earlier. I'll tell you about how my score went down despite studying hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of hours and doing thousands of GMAT problems, honestly. And I don't want that to be you. So we haven't always offered that service, FYI, and we might stop. So if that's you, just contact to us as soon as possible. We'll help you out. You can go to the link in bio or you can go to our website and you can book a call there. If you're curious, uh, but you're not sure if you want to book a call, just check out the video on our site. You can learn a little bit more about our approach, get a feel for our style. No worries if it's not a fit, everybody. Again, I just want you to get the right provider for you personally. If that's working with us, awesome. If that's working with someone else, awesome. I want you to go to business school. I want you to be successful. Business leadership matters. And like I said at the beginning of every episode, that is my ultimate goal is to improve business leadership at scale. And that's what we're doing right now. Thank you for being the type of person who's willing to invest in that process. It's awesome. Whether you're investing with us or not, just do your thing. So moving on. At this point, you should be very well positioned to make an informed choice about what provider is going to be the best for you. Again, let us know if you need help or specific advice. Now that you have an idea of which route you're going and how you're going to learn the content, let me dive a little bit deeper into the big picture study plan I was giving you at the top of the episode and talk about specific next steps. So first step, take a baseline practice test. Second step, get your provider based on your strengths and weaknesses. And then it's time to put your head down and just block out the noise. Do what your provider tells you to do. If you're not executing on the advice they've given you, you are the problem. They are not the problem, okay? Now, you might execute on their advice and not get results. Now, they're the problem, okay? But don't be your own worst enemy by not taking their advice. That's the closest thing to just burning money that you could possibly get to if you're paying for advice and then not taking it. Don't do that. A lot of the stuff they're going to tell you to do is going to be counterintuitive. This test is very different than other tests you've studied for. If it's too much friction, switch providers, that's fine. But do your absolute best to execute, okay? Be careful with the forums. I'm not saying the forums are good or bad. There's a lot of amazing experts on forums who can really help you out. But there's also a lot of inexperienced people who are just telling you their uninformed opinion. And there's nothing wrong with that. Some of you might really want community around this experience and know that other people are struggling with it. Use the forums like you would use social media in that situation. Limit it. Okay, have an amount of time that you're willing to spend on GMAT forums and don't go longer than that. If it's part of your study plan, okay, fine. Some study plans do incorporate forum usage. That's when you're like grinding on the forums, not just passively scrolling, doom scrolling on the forums. Okay, you got to be careful with that because there's a lot of noise that can really derail you in terms of the mental game. And focus is about what you say no to. That's a Steve Jobs quote. Steve Jobs seemed to know what he was doing in the business world, as far as I can tell. Focus is about what you say no to. It's one of my favorite Steve Jobs quotes. And saying no to things is painful, everybody. Variety, novelty is a huge dopamine spike. Top 10, uh, top dopamine producers in the brain. Love, food, novelty. Okay, the brand new car, the brand new house, the new vacation, switching it up. That's all a big pleasure producer. And there's nothing wrong with that. Obviously, many of us are seeking greater pleasures as a, uh, through this process. And, and I'm a huge proponent of that, honestly. I have no judgment. Um, but when it comes to putting your head down and doing something potentially difficult and challenging, like focusing on your GMAT prep day in and day out, my strongest advice is once you pick your provider, put your head down, block out the noise if you're going to be on the forums, limit the amount you're on the forums, and spend the vast majority of your time actually studying, moving the needle, and taking the advice of your professional advisor, okay? People are burning tens of thousands of dollars while we speak right now, not taking the advice of their provider. And I don't recommend that. <laughs>
Okay. So having said that, if you are executing on what your provider said, you're not seeing results or you're not getting the speed you want, it's definitely time to shift gears. There's a lot riding on this. Again, it's very difficult to make a perfect decision from the beginning. And so don't be afraid to pivot. You might even right now start thinking about your plan B if your plan A doesn't work out. And again, like I said, we're here for you if you get stuck and you're not sure how to proceed. All right. And you can just DM us too if you want. We never pitch in the DMs. Uh, so it's not going to be some like awkward situation. We're actually going to help you out. Okay. And then if you ask for our services or you want to talk live, then we're here for that. And if not, like I said, no problem. I'm not going to bring it up again. Here, you're in the content building phase. So what does that mean? You're learning stuff. You're learning how to redo algebra. You're learning how to redo long division. You're learning how to do exponents well for the first time in your life, maybe. Okay. And it, it might be a little bit painful. There might be some friction. Think about it like a workout. Have you ever done a workout that's too easy? How do you feel after that? Like you just wasted a bunch of time probably, okay? Me too. We don't want to be in the business of wasting time. And so what you want to do is you want to be feeling the burn a little bit, just like you would in a tough workout. Now, that's a little different than getting sore in your muscles. This is uh, with the study process, things like frustration, things like having to go back and reread things, things like getting worried that you're going too slow. That's a natural part of the process. Now, there's a healthy amount of that, and there's too much of that. And then you're holding yourself back. And just like a workout, there's enough of feeling the burn, and then there's too much where you're injuring yourself. And you want to find that sweet spot for you personally. Everybody has a different emotional pain tolerance. Um, here's my advice on this. If you're experiencing physical pain, it's time to stop. Back pain, eye pain, like find ways to help yourself avoid that pain going forward. But that's not the time to push through that stuff when you're studying, okay? Emotional pain, like you just don't feel like doing it or you're bored or you're worried. That's something that you could build up like a muscle. And I, I recommend building up that, that tolerance to a healthy degree, okay? And if you're not sure what a healthy degree is, get a psychologist, a therapist, a professional advisor to help you know where that line is. I am not qualified to give medical advice or psychiatric advice. None of this is any kind of professionally credentialed advice other than GMAT advice. And there's no governing body that, that governs the GMAT. So I'm safe giving you this advice. And we're not going to debate whether the device, the, the advice I'm giving you is good or not. You, you can take it or not. <laughs> That's on you. Um, so you, you want to focus on the review process when you're doing problems. If there's one mistake that I see students make over and over again, it's doing too many new problems, burning through a bunch of problems and not learning from those problems. Everybody, completing problems does not move your score. Learning from problems is what moves your score, okay? I know that it's a very logical assumption that if I complete 100 problems, I'm going to be 100 units better at the GMAT, but that's extremely rare that that works. Again, that's more like that 1% or 0.1% of you listening to this right now who are just going to get an incredible score almost no matter what you do. Uh, for the rest of us, it's very unlikely to move your score. I tried that. I have a great academic history. I went to a reputable school, both for high school and college. Uh, I, I worked hard. I was always a great test taker. And I did thousands of GMAT problems and my score went down. Okay, so think about how that affected my sense of self there. It was not good. I don't want that to happen to you. So I want you to focus on good review. What is good review? See, a lot of you're going to hear a lot of professional providers be like, oh, you got to review problems, got to review problems. Let me help you make this specific because you probably don't know exactly what success looks like because you've probably never studied for a test where reviewing problems was this important, okay? Here's a very, very simple thin slice of this. This is a deep topic, but the thin slice is make sure you have something you can write down that you learned after every problem. 
I'm going to repeat that. Make sure you have something that you can write down that you learned after every problem you complete. It might be something new to you, like a fact that you learned or a strategy you learned, or it might be reinforcing something like, oh yeah, I'm, I'm good with complicated exponents questions. But just make sure you actually write that down. Have a takeaway for every problem you do. That is the bare minimum, the bare minimum. And there's much more you can do on the review front. If you want some more advice about how to specifically review problems well, then go back to our episodes from a few years back and listen to the individual reading comprehension episode, the individual critical reasoning episode, the individual data sufficiency episode, the individual integrated reasoning episode, and the eventual problem solving, sorry, old problem solving, individual problem solving episode. Those are the five uh, question types that you're going to see on the exam. And those specific review tactics that I talk about are still relevant to the new exam. Now, over the coming weeks, I'm going to be pushing out specific new episodes on those problems, like I said, but I'm not there yet. So for now, use those old episodes. And even if I have published the new ones, you might still want to go back to the old ones if you're struggling with your review process and you want a little bit more specific advice on that. All right. If you need to catalog these reviewed problems to come back to them at the start of every study session, absolutely do that. It's not rocket science, what I'm recommending here, but it's a lot harder than just completing things. And that's why most people do it. And that's why most people are not efficient with their GMAT prep, despite what you might read online of, I got a 790 in two weeks on YouTube or whatever. Like, hey, that's awesome, man. Like, respect. That was not me. Um, and I needed to review way more problems. And I wish someone had just, again, given me that tough love from the beginning and been like, Isaac, man, I know what you're thinking. <laughs> Let me share with you a story of uh, of love and loss, which is which was my story, okay? And again, if you want to hear that, hit the webinar. Uh, you can waste a lot of time if you try to shortcut this. One of my favorite Michael Jordan quotes is, if you shortcut the game, the game is going to shortcut you. But if you're true to the game, the game is going to be true to you back. And it's really just a lesson in not cutting corners because when you cut corners in your prep, you cut corners in your results. It's very difficult to get around that equation, right? But if you're true to your studies, your results should ring true. If they're not ringing true, like I said, just don't be afraid to switch it up, all right? Good question to ask yourself is, do I want the pain of winning or the pain of losing? It's up to you. So um, next thing that you should consider. I'm going to just get into some general study advice for you here. I'm going to rock through some of these quickly because I know we're getting long on the up here. When you complete your curriculum, after you've gone through your provider's work and you've done your practice problems and you've done the diligent review I was just recommending, you want to take another exam to measure your progress. I'm just going to go a little bit longer. I already talked about this before, but just giving you a little more depth on what I mean here. If they tell you to take an exam before you're done with the program in the program you're taking, then do, do it that way. Take the exam when they take it, tell you to take it. Like I said, listen to your provider's advice. If the score is not moving, that's not good. All right. Review it. It might be on your provider, but it might be you not executing well. Okay. Your execution under pressure is really important. It's not easy. There are a lot of resources that can help you with it. Your provider may be able to help you with those. They may not be able to help you with those. It's a very difficult thing for most people. Um, if you need help with this, check the test anxiety episode or reach out to us so that we can advise and help you out if you're hitting that sticking point. All right. So at this point, you're going to review the actual exam. You're going to note the areas for improvement and you're going to grind on three of them. Okay. And then you're going to retest. Um, once you get that exam reviewed, it's tempting to try to improve at everything all at the same time, but you definitely do not want to do that. You want to limit yourself to three because if you try to get better at everything, then you might get better at nothing. 
<laughs> and you don't want that to happen, okay? It's much easier to just grind on three things at a time and then retest, and then you can hit all the other stuff that you want to after that. If your professional advisor gives you some other advice, go ahead and do what they say, okay? This is just my advice based on what I've seen. Next tip, use official materials from MBA.com as much as possible. This is of paramount importance. You're gonna hear me say this a lot if you end up following me and following my content. It's just massively, massively important for a wide variety of reasons. I don't wanna get into the details here, but I will in future episodes. I talk about it a little bit in the webinar. And if you follow us on social channels, I'll talk about that a lot as well. Next thing that you really wanna focus on as you start your GMAT studies is focus on high quality scratch work for every problem you do and always use a separate piece of scratch paper when you are doing your practice problems. Don't be doing practice problems in the book or doing, doing stuff in your head unless you're that 1% or fewer of people who are naturally gonna be great at the test no matter what you do, then you can do stuff in your head. But if you're that other 99%, myself included, I was always a great student, performed well on exams even when I didn't study as much as I should have, if I'm being honest. That was not the case on the GMAT. I needed tons of work on my scratch work and I did not expect that quality scratch work was gonna be so pivotal for my results, okay? So get ahead of that, save yourself six months of having to learn that the hard way and, um, You'll thank me later, I promise, even though it's going to be slower. Okay, so expect that that's going to be slower than just burning through a bunch of questions with no scratch work, all right? But again, think of it as a difficult workout. That frustration of doing it is part of the way you know it's working and the way you know you're hitting it hard enough and actually making gains. You got to stress the system, and then the system needs rest to adapt, and then that's how we get better and more intelligent and more skilled over time, all right? So last couple tips for you here. I already mentioned this, but I'm just going to reiterate it because it's so important. Keep a list of questions to come back to and revisit and do them on a regular basis. These are questions you might have gotten wrong, questions that took you too long. And if you've already got an error log and you're listening to this and you're telling yourself, oh, I'll just come back to that later in the last week, that's common advice on the internet. Don't do that. Review it on a regular basis. This is going to save you months of time. It's a false economy thinking you're just going to burn through a bunch of new material not review on a regular basis, and then somehow just pull together the review the week before the exam. That is not how it works in 99% of cases, okay? So I'm trying to help you out. Again, just hitting you with some truths I wish someone had hit me with, and it's up to you whether you want to execute on this. All right. Now, I don't want to overwhelm you. I feel that I have maybe have already done that. So there's more advice. If you want more specific advice for what I'm talking about here, then go back to the 2019 episode and hit that if you're hungry for more and reach out to us if you have questions. That is how you start your GMAT studies in 2020-24 as efficiently as possible. That's the big picture. That's everything you need and nothing you don't on the small picture. We'll fill in more of these details with more of a study plan style content in the future going deeper on these topics I touched on today. Let us know if there's specific things that you want to hear about or that you're struggling with. We'll do our best to address it for you. We do have a survey, a free content survey. If you want to give us a little bit more advice, it's definitely not required, but we really appreciate that. It helps the community more. If you're more that uh, community investment, good karma type of person, then we really appreciate you the most. We don't want to make things that aren't going to help you. That makes no sense at all on either side. So please, the link is in the description of the podcast, fill out that survey. And we really, really, really appreciate that in advance if you do that. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. As always, my greatest hope is that this material will make your studies as easy and as painless as possible. If you want more tips and strategies for optimizing your performance on the GMAT, as always, head to our website, thegmatstrategy.com, and check out our free video on how to achieve your dream GMAT score in half the normal time. In the meantime, this is a weekly show, so please subscribe and stay positive and stay consistent with your studies. Talk to you soon.